Back in on Canuck Central, we're in the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Cami and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.com. CA. A lot of uh, texts coming in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, one texter wants the Canucks to go for Liam O'Brien. Seth. Liam O'Brien? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Get some toughness onto the sure, team. Sure. Come and battle for a Ross spot on the bottom of the roster. <laughs> You'd be a healthy scratch on the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he, he would have to battle the Niels Olmans, right? Yes. And those types of players for a roster spot. Although Olmans done well recently. Not, not a realistic target. I think... Uh, Texter might have been joking. Yeah, I think it might be a bit of a joke. Yeah, uh, also people mentioning, you know, Patrick Maroon and Joel Erickson Eck, as we know. Yes. And, uh, Robert Thomas even being mentioned by uh, if Brian you, Burke Mountain. If you trade for Patrick Maroon, does that guarantee you the Stanley Cup? I think it guarantees you make it there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Irfan Gafar. Canucks Insider joins us every single Tuesday. What's happening, Irf? If you trade for Patrick Maroon, it guarantees your team is going to be a lot slower. <laughs> That's for sure. That's the one guarantee that is uh, 100% true if you trade for Patrick Maroon. Buzzkill. Yes. I was excited about yeah, going to the Stanley I mean, Cup that, with Patrick Maroon. <laughs> look, I mean, no discredit to Patrick Maroon. The guy's won a lot. He's won, he's won everywhere he's been, it seems. But that one I wouldn't do. And I think Patrick Alvey knows that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting times, right? Because the Canucks, they just... Keep mowing along. They kind of uh, kept it in second or third gear most of last night and found a way to shut out the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, they they used to be that team, the, the try-hard team that just couldn't do enough to, to really yeah. upset a, a contender. And now, uh, against all odds, they've built the contender that can coast their way through one of these lower lights uh, of the NHL. And it just means the focus continues to be on what they're going to do ahead of the deadline and as the more we look at the the trade market the more sat and i are like there's not a lot that's really inspiring for the canucks to go out and acquire well, i think it depends who you ask uh, i think that with jim rutherford and patrick alvin i think that they've identified maybe five or six targets that they want to try and acquire um it's been no secret that you know both of them have said publicly that you know their job is now to help improve this roster to actually go and make a run at it. Um, you know, they're not going to sit there and let this team just, you know, be not, not, not stagnant, but let, let their team be the team that just kind of goes in. I think they want to try and build and then they want to try and, you know, add, but not only for this season as, as rentals, but, you know, to help this team in a couple of years from now. And I think that that's probably the most important thing is you're not, you know, buying rentals just for this year. It's just, are you, if you're going to get a guy is, is he willing to commit here or does he want to commit here um, after this season and beyond? And I think that's the interesting thing about it, right? Like, do they get somebody who's UFA just to be a UFA or are they looking at a UFA? And again, let's just use Lindholm, for instance, and saying we trade for him, but only if we can keep him, right? Like, that is that a possibility potentially? Yeah. I mean, it's also up to the player as well. Yeah. Right. Like the player could be like, okay, we'll go there. But that doesn't mean that I want to sign there right away. 
right? I mean, you could have the conversation if they're granted permission you know, by the Flames to have a conversation with Lindholm about, you know, and, and an extension if, if it gets that far. And maybe Lindholm and his camp say, well, you know what? We're not ready to actually sign one right now. Let's wait and see how this season plays out. Um, the Canucks probably aren't the only team that's going to be in on him. I mean, he's number one in a, on a lot of, you know, those trade board lists, you know, among the guys, teams that are suitors. You know, you look at Boston, you look at guys like Vegas, obviously with Eichel out at the fit there, and then Colorado Avalanche, you know, I mean, that team is poised to win. And, you know, if I'm a guy like Lindholm, I'm looking and saying, okay, well, they've won before. They've got probably the MVP of the league on their team right now. Why, like, why wouldn't I want to go there? So it, it, it's an interesting one, but Lindholm's definitely a target. Um, you know, it's no secret that they like a guy like Jake Gensel. Um, that one's obviously the easy connection to make. Um, Adam Enrique is an interesting one, just wondering out loud. And then obviously a guy like Frank, Frank Vertrano, who we've heard about a lot. I'm not sure about the Erickson X. Um, I, I, I don't know if that one is going to happen or, or, or what the situation is there. But the other four, I think that, you know, are targets that I'm not entirely sure that they're on the Canucks list, but they've definitely thought about them. Uh, Erickson Eck, the uh, continued, <laughs> the charade that uh, has been put up from, uh, from Canucks Twitter, really, uh, on, uh, on Joel Erickson Eck. You know, the, the five or six forwards, um, yeah, you kind of mentioned some of them there, obviously. I could see them making sense. You know, Vetrano still has another year left, so that's a little bit helpful. I think you'd love to add a player that's got more than uh, just the one year remaining because especially with a Lindholm or a Gensel, given, you know, the Pedersen contract extension still sort of up in the air, it's hard to imagine you can acquire one of those guys and sort of pencil them in for $8 million next year, which is probably what it's going to cost to keep them. Yeah. I mean, unless you know something, Ooh. right? Lindholm's yeah. like Lindholm's a center. I mean, I'm not saying it. Look, I just, I think that they've had every, every um, conversation that you could possibly have, and, and they continue to have those conversations in, in their meetings and whatnot. I think the All-Star break, you know, the bye week is going to be an interesting one for the Canucks management because they're often not going to take the time off. You know, they're going to be the ones that are, that are working the hardest. So come around trade deadline, and the, obviously the Elias Pettersson conversation is only going to get wrapped up further because of, the all-star game and you know he's going to have to answer questions right there there's going to be opportunity for him to do one-on-ones with you know reporters out there with with the broadcaster with with the rights holders um and he's going to be asked about it again and again so it's an interesting one to to keep an eye on but yeah Lindholm is the center is centered there as well Gensel Gensel's the one that interests me because how much is he going to make like he's gonna make he's probably due for a pretty significant he probably wants well. like nine doesn't he like, yeah like eight or nine and like Timo no, Meyer got got like what eight and what eight eight, eight, eight. Yeah. and Gensel has far outproduced uh, Timo Meyer and way more play. Jason, Jason Dickinson got four point five. <laughs> There's no like you look at what Lindholm can make at that point then, right? I mean you're just you're just judging it by that, but yeah, I get it. It's it's wild. Um, yeah, it, it, it'll be a fun next couple or obviously next month, I guess. I think what we're also wondering, you mentioned a few names there, right? Like in terms of UFAs and Alfatrano, you mentioned potentially uh, he, he has one more year left on his deal. When they traded for Philip Peronik, and we asked Rutherford this, and he said, you know, of course, we'd love to do that if we're trading a good assets, but it comes down to what's available. Like, What do you think the chances are that they surprise us and they trade for somebody that fits in long term um, in the next few weeks? Well, I mean, this team has done a lot of things to surprise yeah. us. 
over the last little while. So I think anything is a possibility with, you know, this, this management group, right? Um, uh, I think that there's, there's a lot of things that can... I think the most shocking thing, to be completely honest, that reach is if they do nothing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think and they're going to do nothing. The, is if we pass the deadline and they and they keep this team as it. No, there's I no there's one. no world where Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin do nothing. Like they make more that's trades than any thought, other team in the we league. Thought two seasons ago, we thought that a couple of years ago. Yeah. And before this season, remember, I remember the end of the season. Yeah. There was there's no way that this team can possibly be the exact same as it is come training camp. Come training camp is the same roster. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So surprises are plenty with this team, but that that probably to me would be the most shocking thing. And I think it would piss a lot of people off on this fan base too. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I mean, they've become a, a juggernaut so quickly, like seemingly, you know, overnight almost, right? This time last year, Rick Tockett was just coming into the job and uh, setting in his staples, and we were just learning uh, the Rick Tockett glossary a year ago this yeah. time. But you know what? Like You're right. It, fe- it feels like this is something that just happened, but it's been years in the making in terms of all these star players accumulating over years and a lot of struggle yes. to get to this point, right? And then finally, it's like, oh, you got to a point where you have talent, now you finally put it together and you made some shrewd moves to tweak the roster, right? But it all comes yeah. out to having that baseline of high-end talent. And if you yeah, don't have do that, that, you never have the chance. No, 100%. I mean, look, you're not trying to win the fake ceramic Stanley Cup by just getting in to <laughs> yeah. win, win the to get into just for the sake of getting in. Like, if you really believe your team is legitimate and they've proven a lot of people wrong, I think all three of us included this, this season of what they're good and what, and what they're capable of. So you have to add. You almost have to give yourself an opportunity to go and try and make a run. Now, if you lose against Colorado or you lose against Vegas or whatever, it's not for not trying. So I do think that they definitely are going to do something but i would be shocked if they did it so kuzmenko's starting to come out of it and we kind of wonder like it it feels as though he's going to have to be maybe a casualty just because they don't really have cap space to add a big salary like a gensel or potentially even a lindholm like they, they've got to move something out in order to acquire yeah. one of these guys don't they and that's like the odd man out just feels like it's going to be andre kuzmenko yeah, but that the odd man out costs five million dollars. Yeah. So what team are you where is looking he going? at that say that that's really or where is he going? Yeah. Are they going to retain salary and sat and reach? I'll ask you this alone. Like, are they going to sweeten it? Are they going to give up a pick to try and get his salary off? I don't. I just can't see them doing that. Well, neither can I. You know, I just can't see. I mean, in. I mean, to me, that's just like... That would be a tough pill to swallow. Like, he scored 39 goals last year. And you signed him, and yeah. then now all of a sudden his contract's that bad that you have to... Just, I, I just don't see that happening. I hope it doesn't he hasn't happen. Done, he hasn't done enough this season. I know the last couple of games have looked great, and all eyes are on him every single game now because of everyone, everyone that's been talking about him. The dude scored 39 goals. Where is he? Yeah. yeah. He hasn't fit in this system. Clearly hasn't worked out well. The guy gets top power play time, really hasn't done anything with it. Yeah, the pass last night was incredible, and it looked really good, and... You know, some, some nights there are flashes of it, but it's not consistent enough. And for a team that's looking to compete, you need that consistency night in and night out, top down. If your top guys aren't going, you're going to need guys like Kuzmenko who are playing on the third and fourth line to get you a win. I mean, last night he helped, but on other nights, sometimes he's nowhere to be found. Well, and I, and, and I think that's the big thing. But if you're, if you're trying to create space, I don't think you, can, you have Kuzmenko. In a, in a, I think the only way you can create space is 
by trading him somewhere different. I'm just not sure if because he has a no trade clause too. Like he has a 12 team no trade clause. 12 team, yeah. So so let's say for instance Calgary would want him. I mean would even go to Calgary for instance so I think it's even more complicated it's not as simple yeah. as being like hey let's just go out and get you know Lindholm and Gensel like does does Kuzmenko even want to go to one of those cities you have to get a yeah. third third team in almost like uh yeah. one of the one of the basement teams that might be like hey this guy could be interesting for us next year sort of thing like we could build him back up and use him next year or something to that effect I don't, I don't know I'm that's just, complicated doesn't it it's sound very complicated, complicated. yeah <laughs> so he's the most complicated one now and yes. I, like I've always said I mean they can't not that they can't trade a guy like Niels Hoglander I just don't know that that they want to right like he's he's emerged himself as a person that needs to stay on this team and, and that they're going to have success with and that he can be depended on so that was another person that I thought was expendable early on in the season when when the Canucks were looking at making some moves you know you heard some chatter about teams you know maybe wanting a guy like Hoglander but I think now that 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 might have to turn into a different conversation for for the Canucks management if someone calls. Well, I, the thing though is, if you want to add these players, even a Frank Vitrano, for instance, you have to move salary out. I mean, the Canucks can only yeah. take in about one point nine million in salary. So even if re- at retention, that's not enough to for you to get Lindholm. You could maybe squeeze Vitrano in if they retain a little bit, for instance. But like, there aren't a ton of players they can add unless they move somebody off the roster. That's just a reality. And I mean, would they consider moving somebody we haven't talked about? Like Besser was on the market before twenty seven goals. He's going to the All Star game. Garland's found his his niche on that third line. I mean, unless they're you know considering something more drastic. They're not going to be able to add unless they subtract from the roster too. So it really comes down to how far do they want to go? What caliber of players do they want to bring in here? Well, is it going to be one of those quote-unquote hockey trades, right? That yeah. that we're going to see, right? One in, one out, or whatever that they think that is going to work. So I, I mean, I agree with you. The cap situation screws them a little bit for sure. Actually, screws them a lot. But I just don't see how they can keep everybody and add to the roster, like adding a significant no, player can't. to the roster, right? You can't. And I mean, and look, they with Susie out again. I mean, I get it. You're gonna you're gonna also want defensive depth too. Like you're gonna you might want to add to try and add someone on the blue line as well. So tough situation they're in. Not I'm not in it, but it's fun to talk about. Yeah, uh, on defense, you know they they'd have again they'd have to move out a salary to bring in a salary. Unless like unless they feel like hey we have Susie on LTIR for six weeks. Yeah, and hey you're not hoping for an injury, but what are the chances that in the next five to six or seven weeks, somebody else gets hurt long enough that they have to miss 10 games. Yeah. Probably. Well, I can't there's a decent chance. circumvent the cap. No, I mean, they could. I mean, again, like there is a way here. Like if, if they feel, if they feel like they can, if they feel confident in taking the roll of the dice, using Susie's LTIR, 3.25 million, that opens up a lot of things for them. Like if they want to do that, yeah. all of a sudden now you're talking about, you have about 5 million in cap space, but are they willing to roll that dice and say, you know what, let's just go over the cap and hopefully, or not hopefully, maybe something happens. Maybe we don't need to. But if we have to, then we'll just keep Susie on LTIR until something gives. But to me, the question with that, though, is like you're, you're essentially robbing yourself of Susie for maybe the final five to six weeks of the, of the season. And do you yeah. want to do that? Right? So well, I mean, there is a way of doing it. It's just, it's pretty risky. And I'm just not sure they're going to do it. Well, it's funny because you look at the situation with Vegas, right? Jack Eichel being out for as long as he is. You're like, you know they want to add. Yeah. But like, I think his timeline for him to come back would be two weeks before the playoffs start. So are you willing to roll that dice and just keep him out another two weeks? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, I, I don't think Jack wants that for sure, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept with, when you look at teams and what they're going to need to do, especially with the top teams, how much money they've spent 
and they know that they need to get better. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could always just do like the Maple Leafs and keep a guy on IR until somebody uh, raises a stink about it. But uh, not everybody gets that uh, that luxury around the league. Um, okay, so Jim Rutherford uh, signs the contract extension. Then, of course, he's doing uh, the media rounds and gets asked about Elias Pettersson quite a bit and uh, nothing's really changed on their front they want to sign Elias Pettersson Um, it it is status quo it seems like Pettersson asked about it again last week as well and he says he still wants to wait until the offseason it feels like we we keep bringing it up even though the story hasn't really changed all that much hasn't changed since before the season began hasn't changed at all no I think the only thing that's changed is how much he's going like, to get paid? The, 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 <laughs> yeah, that and they're like, like the like again, maybe maybe not the answer because the answer was still not there. You're right, that before the season started. I think the lack of an answer is something that everyone needs to pay attention to a little bit here. Are you saying the silence like, speaks volumes? I think so. I think in some cases it does for sure. I mean, I get it. You don't want to be a distraction. You don't want to do this, do that. In two weeks, you're going to go to the All-Star game in Toronto with all the you know, assembled members of the media and everything. You're going to be doing a lot of interviews. You want to know what they're going to want to know about? Yeah, they're going to want to know about your team. Yeah, they're going to want to know about you know, the lot of line. They're going to want to know about the great season you guys are having. Where did it come from? Rick Tockett. They're going to want to know about your contract, yeah. and they're going to want to know about that. And he's not going to be able to get through these interviews without, with, with saying, I'm not answering these questions. It's just not going to happen. So as much as it... We don't, like, members of media here aren't, you know, we don't ask too much and whatever. When he says it, he says it, that's it. But it's, it's only going to blow up more in the next couple of weeks. Well, it's also like, I don't know. Well, <laughs> players always say, um, you know, when they don't want to sign for whatever reason or they're not ready to talk for whatever reason, it's, I don't want it to be a distraction. But then when you ask them about their contracts, like, oh, I just, I let my agent deal with that. You know, or when a guy signs or does resign, it's just like, okay, I, yeah, I just told my agent get it done and yeah. we figured it out. And like the agent does they, most of the negotiating. It's not like Pedersen is there like grilling with Jim Rutherford and being like, no, nah, I think I want thirteen point seven million dollars. It's, it's, it's the agent that does all the work. Hundred percent. But if the agent isn't given a decision by his client to go one way or the other, or yeah. deciding what he wants to do, so the agent can go talk to the team. That's probably on the client at that point. Yeah, but I would say you're right. But at the same time, like the one thing I keep going back to is like he said at the beginning of the season, I want to wait until the off season. Yeah, I want to wait until after yeah. the year. I'm focusing on hockey, right? Like he very clearly stated what he wanted to do, and that hasn't changed. No, right? Like it wasn't like if he had said before the season, uh, yeah, we'll talk at some point, you know, whatever. And then he hasn't. Then I'd be like, okay, what's going on, right? Like you're right it's it's odd even alvin himself mentioned that it's unusual that you're in this type of situation with the player but it's nothing that he didn't tell you from the outset so that's why like i i'm i'm still not at a level of like overly being concerned at this point but it's more about one of those things of like he's very clearly on his own schedule and nothing else matters so you think he's gonna sign a long-term contract here that's what you're saying i'm not saying he's signing a long-term contract <laughs> but i can see him signing a shorter term deal like we talked about this before like I, I can see like the success the team is having even let's say even before the season he had some inclination of perhaps not wanting to stay here i can see with how the team is doing and he said ultimately he wants to win it's not that easy to just go to any team that you want to either right like it's you know as much as you yeah. you may want to go somewhere you saw it with johnny goudreau you saw it with the other guys you don't always end up in the destination you want, right? It's not it's not that no. cut and dry, right? So I could see him looking at it and say, you know what? Why not just do three years here and then reassess in a few years? He'll still be twenty eight at that point. 
Yeah. No, I, I mean, I get it. It's just, it's, it's up to the player. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It, this one's completely, this one's on him and he doesn't want to talk about it. I get it. Doesn't want to be a distraction. Doesn't want to do all that. But the question is still answered. There's the, I think the longer it takes, it's his own GM, but it's unusual. His own president on your radio station with you guys basically brought up the T word. Yeah. Okay. Unprompted. So there's, there, there's more people than just us and the fan base that are thinking about it. There's a lot of people that were within the know that are obviously questioning some things as well. It's uh, it's definitely strange the way that it continues to play out. Uh, Earth, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, who do you got in the uh, in championship weekend? What's your what's the snack of choice? <laughs> my snack of my choice. I, I got my picks. Yeah. Um, I'm a chicken wings guy. Like, but yeah. is that really a snack? Probably chicken not. Chicken wings. I don't know. Not if you have half a, a bird. But yeah, I mean, I'm a chip nachos, guy. but nachos. Not a lot of people do nachos well. No, yeah, I'm a big nachos fan though. Nachos are a lot though. I'm mostly like, I'm more of a chips guy. Regular chips, yeah, all dressed. I get tired of chips. Give me the chips. To me, I get tired of chips. I can have yeah, a few. You're Jack. You've got like a big time fruit <laughs> cup or something. You know, you're just getting the game. No man, I just I've been eating a lot. Popcorn. Recently. That's that's all about the popcorn. I love popcorn, yes. but a lot of protein. <laughs> a lot of protein. Get a lot of protein. Go to the chips and you know, or go down a rabbit hole of different types of salsas. Yeah, yeah. Like get like seven so, layer dip. It has some like you know beans. Ew, in seven it. layer dip, gross. <laughs> has some meat. Has you know, has a little bit of everything in it. You get some refried beans. You get some protein. I'm a good uh, spinach dip is quite good actually. Yeah, have a nice spinach dip. With Let's go Detroit. Let's go. Yeah, anyone but Baltimore. the Niners, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, as a Seahawks fan, I can't cheer for them. Well, I mean, we know it's going to be Niners Ravens, don't we? <sighs> no, we don't. We the Niners barely won. A, re, a repeat of the greatest Super Bowl of all time, Niners Ravens. I, I saw. I, I I see like conspiracy uh, Twitter uh, thinks that it's been scripted that it's going to be Niners Ravens because they saw some news report in like Louisiana from like a local news station. They had a graphic talking about uh, who, who's who's doing the halftime show. Like Usher is coming, yes. whoever, some a few other artists are coming in to do the halftime show, and they say they're doing the halftime show halftime show at the Super Bowl and between the Ravens and the Niners. That's what it said like on the graphic. So they're predicting, I guess, that Ravens and Niners, or they made a mistake on the on, on the on the Chiron. The NFL is screen. scripted. So. so basically, because because the yeah. small town yeah. or like you know this local news station had this uh, graphic a couple weeks back, people think the NFL script has been leaked. So Niners. Well, I Ravens. think, it, and also also people are laughing about it because the last three colors of the Super Bowl logo All right. have been the team the, the two teams have played in that game. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So. Just give me just anyone but Casey. Yeah. Uh, the NFL is scripted, as we know. Uh, all right. Thanks for this, pal. Hi, gentlemen. Be well. Uh, there he is, Irfan Gaffar. Uh, just so everybody knows, like, I'm completely kidding. Like, there are people that believe this or at least play along on oh, social media. Uh, I don't believe it for a moment, but it's, it's one of those things. The NFL is scripted. Yes. Some people truly believe that it is. <laughs> Stan Richo and Satsi Arshaw coming up. Matt DeFranks is going to join us covering the St. Louis Blues there in town tomorrow night. And then we'll get to Russell Morgan covering the L.A. Kings. Busy segment coming up next on Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Grants. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
number two of Canuck Central this hour brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Uh, the Canucks look to continue their winning ways as they welcome St. Louis Blues to town tomorrow night at Rogers Arena and joining us to talk about the Blues, it is Matthew DeFranks covering the Blues for the St. Louis Dis- Post-Dispatch. Uh, thanks for this, Matt. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? We are, uh, we're, we're doing pretty well. The, uh, the last team to beat the Canucks in, in regulation was the St. Louis Blues. It seems like uh, eons ago. Uh, they're 8-0-1 since, but you know, it's, uh, it, we know it's been a good season for Vancouver. Uh, how has it progressed for St. Louis uh, as you know, they continue to be in this playoff race here in the Western Conference? Yeah, I think from the outside, it's kind of progressed the way that you would have expected it to. Uh, this was going to be a middle-of-the-road Western Conference team kind of on the outside of that playoff bubble. And that's I kind of thought they would be a mid-80s, high-80s team at the start of the season, and that's kind of what they've been throughout the, the entire regular season. I think the one thing that was a bit surprising uh, is the firing of Fred Ruby. I think since the Blues management had kind of talked themselves into this being a, a transition year, I figured they kind of knew what kind of team they had. Uh, turns out they wanted a little bit of a, a change in direction there, and so obviously uh, Drew Bannister comes in as the interim coach. But other than the coaching change, uh, it's kind of gone how I had kind of expected it to uh, the season for the Blues. Well, and as far as their younger players go, because we saw J- Jordan Cairo, of course, be emotional because the fans were, uh, you know, not very pleased with him and his comments or lack of comments about Craig Berube. Where do you think st- things kind of stand with, with their young star players, which were clearly affected by the coaching change? Yeah, I think when we talk about this season and how the Blues were going to be a bubble playoff team and to be honest, the, the results of this year didn't really matter a ton as, as much as a few storylines. And one of those storylines would be watching Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo progress into true stars. And we've seen that from Robert Thomas this year. He's a, he's a true number one center now. He's taken on top line matchups. He's a point per game guy. And that's even without a, a functional power play. He's been their best player uh, by far this year. And he's taken that next step to become the superstar that they need him to be in order to turn the you know the franchise around, really. Uh, but when we look at, at a guy like Jordan Cairo, uh, a lot of the underlying analytics point to him having a decent year uh, in terms of expected goals, shot attempts, shots on goal. They're all kind of in line with his career averages, but his shooting percentage is way down. And I think part of that is because of the shots that he does generate, you know, there are a lot of distant shots. There are a lot of you know, NHL caliber shots that, you know, you don't think would go in, but he finds a way to make them go in. And when you have outside shots like that, you're going to have some variance in your shooting percentage. And that's kind of what's happened to him so far this year. Hasn't been the results that the Blues nor him would have wanted after 37 goals last year. And, you know, as far as the coaching change uh, with a guy like Cairo, the first thing that Drew Bannister came in uh, was he put Buchnevich, Thomas, and Cairo on the same line and said, we need to put them together because they're all three the best uh, when they are playing together, and that's why we need to get Jordan Cairo going as well. So he has been one of the top priorities for Drew Bannister in the last month or so that he's been uh, the interim head coach. Uh, He's been trying to get him going, and at times it's been working. At times he's kind of disappeared and uh, hasn't really contributed when he hasn't scored much. So what's the plan this year for for Doug Armstrong then as we approach the trade deadline? You know, he was... 
one of the big wheelers and dealers last year, collecting a bunch of first-round picks, trading away Ryan O'Reilly and, and Vladimir Tarasenko, but maybe not the, the same cachet of player uh, yeah. uh, that's uh, you know on an expiring contract that there was a year ago. Yeah, he's not quite dealing with the same uh, set of cards that he had last year, right? Yeah. Uh, this year, the, the pending UFAs are, are a much different class. And coming into the season, I thought they would be able to get some some value out of him. You know, you looked at a guy like uh, Verana and what he had done in the 20 games in St. Louis after the trade from Detroit. He, was, he scored 10 goals. He he was contributing. His, his goal-scoring rates at 5-on-5 five five were among the best in the league. You thought there was a, a chance for a, a bounce back and kind of a – buy low, sell high sort of deal, but he's been a healthy stretch. He's been waived. He's now in the AHL. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen, they got on waivers last year. He's hurt. Uh, Sammy Blay, Marcus Candela, they've both been healthy stretches this year. So so a lot of these guys that are pending UFAs that you thought, hey, maybe you can kind of squeeze some value out of at the, at the trade deadline, just haven't had the years that would have given the Blues any sort of uh, you know, something in return in a few weeks or a few months. So not going to be the same sort of returns as it was last year. I mean, last year they picked three times in the first round, but it is still something that I think that Doug Armstrong could try to get whatever he can. Um, he was smart enough last year to realize that this was a team that uh, even if they weren't going to make, if they were going to make the playoffs, it wasn't really going to go far. And so uh, instead of buying, uh, you know, a, a depth guy to help you get in, uh, he sold those guys. To, uh, to really solidify some assets for the future. And I would imagine something similar follows this year, but it's just probably on a much smaller scale because of the pieces he has to deal with. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's some interesting UF, uh, a couple of those types of players. But in terms of a player that has one more year left on his deal, you mentioned him earlier, Pavel Buchnevich. I mean, I'm sure if they wanted to move him, they'd have a long list of suitors going after him. But is he a guy they would prefer to keep as opposed to perhaps move? Yeah, he's one of the guys that they have to make a, a big decision on. He can be extended uh, this summer. So he has this year and one more year left on his contract at $5.8 million. And for one of the top 15, 20 winners in the league, that's a great number to have. Uh, the issue that I see with extending him is what kind of term does he want? He'll be 30 years old when he's a, a UFA. Does he want that six, seven, eight-year term that a lot of guys want when they hit free agency? Or will he be willing to go midterm, you know, four or five years, and will the Blues be able to, to kind of reach him uh, at that term? Um, I think when you look at the Blues roster right now and you see all of the guys that have signed to long-term deals that are in their 30s, uh, guys like Krug, Falk, uh, Pareko, Shen, uh, Saad, they have, even Kevin Hayes to a much smaller extent, they have a lot of guys that are, have term uh, deep into their 30s, and I don't know if they would want to do that again for a guy like Pavel Buchnevich, and that's a decision they have to make, uh, and if they do decide to to trade him, you know, as you mentioned, uh, I think he's probably one of their, one of if not their top trade chip uh, to kind of recoup some value, given his production, his contract, and the fact that he has you know, the rest of this year and one more year left on his contract. Uh, he would be very attractive to plenty of teams around there. I just don't know uh, truly is what the Blues want to do right now. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the more I look at, uh, you know, their contracts, and you, know, you just mentioned a bunch of them. I, I know they tried to move Tory Krug in the summer, and, you know, he uh, used his no-trade clause to, to back out of that deal with the with the Philadelphia Flyers, but, 
You know, this is a, a very expensive and underperforming defense, Matt. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how Doug Armstrong works around this because they're only getting older, and that generally means they're not going to, you know, be able to find the fountain of youth and, uh, uh, you know, start playing like they did in their primes. Yeah, I, I think if you if you want to put on the uh, the optimism glasses, you say, hey, this summer there's one more year off of their their contracts, right? So maybe that makes them more appealing to to either buy out or to trade. You say, hey, the cap's going up, and you know maybe teams can afford to take on a bad contract, or the Blues themselves can buy out a guy like Nick Letty, who would only have two more years left at at four million dollars. So the defense has played better this year uh, compared to last year. Of course, there was a, a pretty low bar to clear from last year. Uh, they, there has been improvement. Uh, the assistant coach Mike Weber has come in, and they've gone to the zone defense, and that seems to have helped uh, a little bit. Um, but they they don't have a number one defenseman there. And if you're going to get back to contending for Stanley Cups like the Blues did for so long when they had Alex Petrangelo, they're going to need someone that can be a number one D all-around guy. Uh, Colson Pareko has been a, a shutdown guy. He's been producing offensively at five-on-five five a little bit, but you know, he's not that dynamic guy that's going to put up you know, 50, 50, 70 points and, and control the game when he's on the ice. So, uh, the Blues really need to find that number one defenseman. And as you mentioned, these chanchos are going to make it a little tough to, to work around. But in the summer, uh, I think Doug Armstrong has a lot more options than he does uh, right now. And even the summer previous, just based on you know, time off the contract, cap going up and, and things out of, uh, out of really the Blues control that are lead wide. Before we let you go, how would you uh, describe the year Jordan Binnington is having? And is he a type? Is he a player that, despite the fact he's thirty years old, that they feel is part of their core still? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think he's definitely part of their their group moving forward. Uh, it kind of depends on the timing of when that group all arrives, right? Uh, if it's the next you know two three years, I would say absolutely. But after that, you know, his contract is on the tail end of it. And Joel Hofer at that point should be ready to, to take command as the number one guy in St. Louis. But Bennington this year has actually been very, very good. Uh, I know the numbers aren't really that overwhelming. Uh, 9-0 something, say, percentage, uh, goals against around three. Uh, but he's been stealing some games that they had no business being in. I think when you look at the differences of the team under Drew Bannister versus under Craig Ruby, the five-on-five play hasn't really been all that different. They're, they're still a low-possession team ranking in the bottom 10 of the league in a bunch of different possession categories, whether it's shot attempts, shots on goal, expected goals, scoring chances, whatever. It's all pretty similar for Ruby to Bannister. The thing is that the goaltending has been a, a little bit better, and Bennington's been a part of that. So he'll go tonight against Calgary, which means hopefully will go tomorrow in Vancouver. Uh, and, you know, Bennington's been good. I, I think the Blues would be happy with this season so far. Hey, Matt, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Absolutely. Have a good night, guys. Uh, there is Matthew DeFranks joining us uh, here on Canuck Central. It's um, it's interesting as we've talked so much about the trade markets at those two teams in the Central, um, St. Louis and Nashville, on the fringes of the wild card race, uh, more so Nashville, less so uh, St. Louis right now. But both teams look inclined to be sellers as it currently stands, even though they're kind of in that fringe playoff race type of conversation. I mean, long term, I mean, 
they make the playoffs at best. They perhaps somehow, some way goalie the opposition because you have UC Soros in Nashville, Jordan Bennington in St. Louis. Like, is there a way that, you know, they steal around? Sure, that could happen, I guess, right? But that's the absolute ceiling for those teams. Yeah. There's nothing more beyond that. And even that is honestly asking way too much, right? Yeah. So if you know that's your future and you're very much in flux as a team, you have to make the right decision. You have to make the long-term outlook moves, right? I think they're a bit more obvious for St. Louis, whereas for Nashville, who are they making decisions on? That's one thing I wonder about. Like, we're we just talking about the Carrier and Fabro and Tommy Novak. Okay, sure, whatever. But we're not talking about, you know, their core pieces, really. Whereas with the Blues, like, Pavel Buchnevich is their third best forward. Well, does somebody make them a, a big offer for UC Soros? I think would be, who's a year out from, uh, he's got a, another year left on his deal. If that's who they're moving, then okay. It gets very interesting. Yeah. And if you're Edmonton, for instance. Mm -hmm. I think it would take like a huge offer to get him out of Nashville, but it's something I think they would listen on because they have Askarov as well. And, yeah. Yeah, you know, with Doug Armstrong, if, look, he put the St. Louis team together and I don't think it's, uh, it's very good, but he has the cup. You know, we know he's going to be or was considered to be the Canadian GM for the, the, the last Olympics, but... It's going to be tough to work around all these contracts, man. They have so much work to do. And in the past, I'll give him credit for this. He's always been a guy that recognizes where his team actually is and if they're a true contender or not and been willing to move guys when they're not true contender well, status. I remember the year they traded Stasny, the yeah. Blues. They were in a playoff race. And they still made the playoffs. And even Kevin him. Shattenkirk. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, it was a while ago, but uh, not that long after they ended up winning the Stanley Cup. All right, let's bring in our next guest here on Canucks Central as uh, this team is uh, going through it right now. It's the L.A. Kings. And joining us now, Russell Morgan, covering the L.A. Kings for Hockey Royalty Podcast, uh, joining us. Thanks for this, Russell. How are you? Good. How are you guys uh, doing? Uh, we're, we're doing pretty well, you know, especially seeing, uh, how big the gap has gotten between Vancouver and LA and in, in the standings over the last couple weeks, but LA looked unbeatable to start the year. Now they've lost 11 of 13. What the heck is going on? Man, scoring, scoring is the big issue right now. I mean, defensively, they're playing pretty well. They're adhering to that one, three, one system. So Goaltending has been okay so far. Cam Talbot's kind of slowed down a little bit from his all-star uh, first-half performance. David Riddick has come in and played pretty well. But, yeah, the, the well has dried up in the offensive zone. So, I mean, when Andre Kopitar is really struggling, I think he has no goals in his last 12 games. Adrian Kempe, no goals in, his, I believe, in his last eight games. And the big story right now is Pierre-Luc Dubois. So what's going on with him? Uh, and that when you're not able to score and the big boys aren't producing – you're not going to get a lot of points in the standings. Well, no, and that's just the reality. And I mean, those those things happen, and and that's why, like I, uh, when I hear the stuff about, hey, do they have to make a decision on Todd McClellan? And when I watch the Kings play, and it's like, yeah, sure, maybe some mistakes here and there, but for the most part, they're they're playing hard, they're doing the right things. They just can't score. So, so is it actually a coaching issue here, or just a team that needs to get back on a roll? Well, that's the frustrating thing about this whole situation is because you go on that long road trip where it, I believe they went one, three, and two in six games. I mean, you look at a lot of the teams that they were playing on that East Coast swing. You're in uh, Florida, so you had the Tampa Bay Lightning. You had the, you had the uh, Florida Panthers. Then you go to Carolina. You're playing against really good teams. And in all those games, it just seemed like they were – well, they're all one-goal games, one-goal losses, overtime losses. So, when, but when you have those keep compounding and, and, and continuing – the, the excuse of, 
oh, you're playing good teams and you're in these games and you're going against good goaltending, that could only go so long, especially when this is a team that for the last few years or last two years, you lose in the first round to the Edmonton Oilers and, and management takes a big swing over the offseason and, and, and kind of moves a lot of pieces out to bring in one big piece. Expectations are incredibly high. So at first, the first half of the season or the first part of the season was looking pretty good uh, with the 11-game win streak to start on the road. But lately, I mean, fans are kind of wondering what's going on if the wins aren't going to keep coming. So, Pierre-Luc Dubois, (laughs) we've heard this story before. You know, it's not like it's it's something new with him. It happened in Winnipeg and it it happened in Columbus where he would get called out by torts. And, you know, there's uh, those those videos of his shifts in Columbus where he's just kind of like out there sauntering around and not doing much of anything. And and now he's he's kind of getting called out by by Todd McClellan for doing the, the same thing. Is he just has he gotten fat and happy after getting paid? (laughs) <laughs> well, a lot of LA fans hope that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're seeing a lot of similar stuff that you we've heard. But I mean, over the summer and the off season, he said all the right things. He's in a place. He's in. He's happy. Management said this is a piece that's going to really turn the tide for them and put them over the hump. But when you're getting paid the amount of money he's getting paid, he's what third highest salary cap hit on the team behind Drew Doughty and Andre Kopitar right now. But He's, he's the third-line center, and, and at most nights, I mean, he, he could be the fourth-line center with his play on the ice. It's just it's so weird because, I mean, for me, and you're based in L.A., you don't really see too much of Pierre-Luc Dubois and what he did in Winnipeg. So when the trade goes down, you try to watch as many highlights and as, many, as much game tape as you can, but you don't notice the every day, every night, that those shifts where it's just you, he has a nonchalance to his game mm-hmm. where it's just when he's away from the puck, it's almost like he's just a spectator at that point. But, I mean, the thing is, too, though, is like when he's had the puck, he's, he's a playmaker. He, you could see the skill there. You could see the size. He's got, he's got a lot of uh, flair to his game that you want to see from a big, high-profile centerman. But for some reason, it just hasn't come together in L.A. And I, it's still early. As, as we're going to keep saying that as, as, as we go on here until he maybe starts producing. But... I mean, yeah, I think it's gotten to a point where Todd McClellan has pretty much exhausted all possibilities. We've seen him on the third line with Kevin Fiala to start the year. We saw him playing with other players. He, they're mixing and matching him. And then even going the last two games, they had him on the first line, playing with Andre Kopitar and Adrian Kepe. And that didn't work out where they moved him back to the third line. And then McClellan just came up with that big quote that came out last night. So, yeah, it's gotten to a point where Todd McClellan's just really – uh, tried everything on his plate, and it's it's he's had to call him out now. So we'll see where it goes from there. I mean, he is too talented and too good to continue playing like this. But maybe that's just the way he is. He had up and down type of player over the course of a long season, and and we'll see kind of how it trends. I'm sure he'll trend up at some point. But there have been some like good stories around the Kings, and and I think the one guy that was getting a lot of love, but now it's kind of gone quiet because the Kings have struggled is Quinton Byfield, and and how he's really uh, finally looking like he's hitting his stride. Is he truly figuring it out to you? Oh, absolutely, and and that's a that's definitely one of the better stories for LA so far. I mean. He's like the opposite of everything we've heard from Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, like, a lot of the talk is, well, Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's getting paid this much money. He should be elevating his line mates, and that really hasn't been the case. Whereas Quentin Byfield, it just seems like he's really the one that's kind of been elevating Andre Kopitar and Adrian Kempe, which is surprising to hear. And so when you have a player who's more or less been the youngest player in the lineup, 
uh, playing at the level he's playing at right now. I mean, that has to give a lot of promise to the future aspects. With everything that kind of had gone on with Quentin Byfield, seems like he was more or less a slow starter. But, hey, he's still pretty pretty young kid when he's coming into this environment. But, yeah, this is his breakout season. And I think a lot of the production we're starting to see is his confidence come into play, whether it be on the forecheck or even in the defensive zone. We're seeing it in all areas of the ice, and that's been a huge uh, added impact for L.A. Ajay Kopitar, he's uh, he's 36. You know, he already signed his extension uh, for the next couple of years. You mentioned his his goal scoring drought. Is is there an injury there? Like uh, we we don't see this guy slump very often in his career. Yeah, we talked to Rob Blake about it the other day. Um, he was really kind of kind of didn't really want to point the finger at Ajay Kopitar having any sort of injury, but it, there was a little smirk there. I mean, he, he just said the, the typical quote was that everybody's playing hurt at this time of year. But, yeah, it's, it's been tough to watch with Andre. I know his face-off percentage has certainly dipped down. Like I mentioned earlier, the scoring is not there. I don't see a player who's, who's playing hurt, and he's never going to say anything about that. So it's, I think it's just a player that's just struggling just a, as much as the rest of the team is. I mean, we want all, everybody wants to point the finger at Pierre Lucebois, but, yeah. It's not just him. It's, it's Kopitar that we just talked about was struggling. It's Kempe. So it's the whole team that kind of has to pick themselves up. And, and as much as we want to point the finger and say that he is injured, I just, I just don't see it right now. They're still giving him plenty of minutes. And even though his, his career, it's, he's trending toward a career low in terms of time on ice. But, I mean, last night he played 23 minutes in the night, and it, he, he looked pretty good. Just We're just uh, going through it right now with uh, the captain. One of my favorite things about watching fan bases is them getting overly passionate and heated over, you know, the ends of the rosters, whether that's the 12th forward, 13th forward, fourth liner, third pair defenseman. And a discussion about defensemen on the Kings got Drew Doughty out of his uh, Twitter silence when, when fans were talking about, you know, do they have to move Matt, Matt Roy because they want to see Brand Clark and they want to see Jordan Spence out there at the same time. Uh, can you kind of walk us through why fans are so passionate about wanting to see Brand Clark play, and do you understand why there was such a big debate about trying to get their young defenseman into the lineup? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm one of the guys who, who's probably more prominent in terms of getting Brand Clark into the lineup. I mean, this is a team that's searching for scoring. They're searching for offense as much as they as much as they can find it, and Brand Clark, I feel like, would be that answer or would at least help out, and certainly with some power play play woes that they've been going through. So, and I, the, the I guess the last player that would probably come out of the lineup is Andreas Englund, who's playing that third uh, left air, left uh, pair spot. But uh, Brian Clark is still a young player. We saw we saw him in the lineup yesterday. Uh, he actually was in for Matt Roy, who Matt Roy actually got uh, with his birth of his first child. So congratulations to him. But yeah, we saw we actually got the the Brian Clark and Jordan Spence at the lineup at the same time, and and it was good to see. We saw some flashes of Brian Clark's play. He's he's not going to be lacking any confidence on the ice, but there actually was, was some uh, rookie mistakes that came into play where he came a little too wide on uh, in the offensive zone and actually let one of the San Jose Sharks players in on our breakaway. So there are some rookie mistakes that are there, but, I mean, if you're a team that's kind of searching for the offense and, and really lacking the goal scorer right now, I just feel like you have to play the best players that you have available. And if that means you have to play one of the uh, right-shot defenders on the left side, it's so be it, in my opinion, but... We'll see what Tom McClellan has in store. Russell, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for this today. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. 
Uh, there is uh, Russell Morgan covering the LA Kings for hockey royalty. Yeah, I love those debates, man. Like, you know, fan, <laughs> it gets so passionate. And it's like, you know, we see see this in Vancouver too. And it's like, you know, it, it all of a sudden leads to like Niels Hoganider, like, why not trade Patterson? You know what I mean? Like, yes. it's, it's like all of a sudden, you know, one leads, one thing leads to another. You can't keep Hoganider out of the lineup. <laughs> yeah. So Matt Roy is like a really good top four defenseman, but they're like, you got to move him. You yeah. got to move him. You got to make room. I, for I felt like the discussions were were heavier when the Canucks were bad. Oh yeah, now it's kind of you know. Like, you got Jason Magna in the lineup instead of Nils, like oh, Nikolai yeah. Goldolbin. What's it's going a bit on? different. It's a bit different. Whereas you know, with with the Kings, it's a bit higher. But I get it. Like they have these you know talented youngsters, and organizationally, they haven't had enough of them hit over the years. That's why for them, it's huge that Byfield is doing his thing. Yeah, you know, and Spence is showing a little bit of something. But like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the fans are looking at it and saying. You know, for all the draft picks and prospects this team has hoarded over the years, the best thing they've done with them is make trades so far. And how many are going to bring, you know, going to come up? And I'm sure a lot of them have uh, a lot of hope in Brian Clark as the future of the defense. Yeah. Dowdy's getting older. Is he going to be the guy they pass the torch to? And he's only 20 years old, but he hasn't shown those signs yet. Yeah. And that always creates angst. And then there is this sense sometimes that the organization doesn't know what it's doing. It's like, this is a super talented player. Why are they holding a good player down? You know, and it's like, well, there's usually more to it. It's not that simple. Like teams are not in the business of of downplaying their own assets. Yes. You know? So if they're not playing a guy, it's not because they want to ruin the player. Like they that's yeah. kind of what they feel is going like, on. You know, if you're Columbus right now and sitting out David Yurichek, he's been out of the lineup for I don't even know how long yeah. at this point. It's been a couple of weeks. You know, he was your sixth overall pick. Um you're near the bottom of the stand. Like, let him work through his mistakes. Yeah, like, I think there's different. Like, there's different context for different players in different situations. I, so, the one lesson I think that we learned from watching a really bad Canucks team over the years—you mentioned the Goldobins and stuff like that—I don't believe in you're going to work your way out through things in NHL anymore. Yeah. I know this is something that Ferraro's mentioned over the years. Like, you go develop in the AHL. Like, NHL's not, not a develop, development. League, it's not yeah. a developmental league, right? If you're that far behind, like, if they're that worried about you to play you know, a limited role and you're healthy scratch for like 10 games in a row and you're a talented young player. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Go and play. Like, you go and develop in the AHL or, or even go back to the CHL. Uh, I think the biggest mistake the Canucks made through those years and we looked at guys like McCann, for instance, and even, you know, Jake Vertanen, they kept him up here the whole year. Yeah. And it's like, hey, like, that's not good. Just They, they needed to go back. You know, they were like, well, is it worth it going down to the, you know, CHL as opposed to because they can't go to the AHL because of the age requirements and all that. And it's like, at the time, you're like, well, it feels like a lost development by sending a guy down that far. But you're better off the guy going there and playing the CHL yeah. and, and having success. Just go and there and dominate. And, you you're know. better off doing that than not playing in the NHL. You really are. Yeah. Right. So I think I'm at a point now where it's like, if you don't think the guy can play, you know, then send him down. Go, go let him play. Well, and as the Canucks had to do last year with Hoaglander. Yeah. Right? Like, you kind of skipped a spot in your development. We can't keep working on this stuff with you at the NHL level. Like, go figure it out with Abbotsford. And then now you're seeing sort of the success of that because they've been able to trust him more this year. Yeah. Still not a ton. Like, he's still learning at the NHL level to a certain extent. But, you know, he, he knows he's the meeting ba a baseline. But more he's meeting often. a baseline yeah. more often. And, you know, there's success there that uh, that the Canucks have had with the player. And, you know, he's playing a much better and more uh, structured game as well. It's Dan Rachel, Satyar Shah. You're listening to Canucks Central.